Fascinating topic. Um, we are all familiar, to some extent, with uh, numerous mitzvahs in the Torah, um, primarily found in the book of Kedoshim, in, sorry, in the parasha of Kedoshim, um, which forbid um, numerous different types of, perhaps a uh, generic term for them would be divination. So there's Shoyel uh, Ba'oiv, who, you know, it's some sort of uh, way of bringing up the dead to communicate with them. Um, there's also the Nachash, in on what, what, a part of today's class we'll be discussing what some of these things mean. Um, and all of these things are forbidden. Um, magic, you know, in fact, even even having a common uh, magician, which are they're not really magicians, they're tricksters, um, is uh, questionable. Um, it's customary in the fr- in in the Jewish world to rely on those who are lenient. Specifically, though, I believe Ramesha Feinstein was um, strict that if you have a magician, um, uh, you know, at a kid's party or whatever, you have to make sure that it's sort of stated explicitly that he's not actually doing magic. It's all um, sleight of hand and, you know, stuff like that. Now, the Rambam places these laws under in, in, the, um, in the section dealing with the laws of Avedizara, of idolatry, because all of these things are forbidden under the umbrella category of um, other forces other than God. And indeed, the the um, set when the Torah tells us not to do things, it concludes with the phrase, Tomim Tia Im Hashem Now the word, you should be Tomim with Hashem your God. Now the word Tomim is perhaps a difficult word to translate. It means complete, it means simple. Um, Rashi translates it in that pasuk as um, go with Hashem with with uh, sort of stay with Hashem with 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 um, with with simplicity not simplicity as in uh, with genuine maybe genuine is a good word um, don't try to um, figure out the future everything that Hashem brings upon you, Kabel, but we must accept it wholeheartedly. And this is how you will be together with God and have a portion um, with God. Now, so let me read to you how the um, one couple of sections of this Rambam, which, as I said, is in the laws of Avodah Zarah, <coughs> chapter 11. And we. Um, are uh, waiting for Ari Marinelli to connect to audio. We welcome Ari Marinelli. Um, okay. Ein menachashim kugoyim. Shenem aloysa nachshu. The Raman says you're not allowed to do nachash. Now remember that word. We're going to get to it in the Gemara. You're not allowed to do nachash. What is nachash? nachash. You might have asked, what is nachash? Well, the Raman himself says, what is nachash? Kugoyim. Eilu sh'aimim hoil v'nafla pitim yipir nafla makla miyadi. People who say... That oh, I dropped my piece of bread, or I dropped my steak, um, so this is a bad omen. Um, just mute this. This is a um, this is a bad omen. So therefore, I'm not going to go 
to this place that I the, the, to this place today because if I will go, my matters will not be accomplished. Or similarly, if a person says, "Oh, a fox um, walked past on my right side," so I shouldn't leave my house today because if I do a bad, I'll be come from I'll interact with a uh, dishonest person. Similarly, those who hear the chirpings of the birds and they say this means that so um, such and this such and such will or won't happen such and such is good or bad to do similarly people who say to kill a to shacht a chicken who who um, crowed at the wrong time or stuff like that and similarly here's very important this is the thing similarly somebody who 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 um, makes himself signs and he says if such and such will happen to me, I will do such and such, and if it won't happen to me, I won't do such and such. According to the Rambam, that is included in the prohibition of Nachash, under the umbrella prohibition of Avodah What's an example of such a behavior? Like Eliezer, the servant of Avram. Eliezer, the servant of Avram, came to the well and he said, if I meet the girl and she says, I'll give you to drink, and I ask her to drink, and she says, yes, and I'll also give you your camels, then I'll marry her. Then, then she'll write. And if not, says the Rambam, that's f- forbidden under this Avera of Nachash. And all other similar things are forbidden. And if if you do something because of such a simon, a Nachash, in other words, if you then actually, because the Nachash turned out a certain way, you go and do something proactively, so then you not only have you violated the mitzvah, you actually, it's punishable by the lashes. Like you get the 39 lashes. Now, it seems quite uh, radical to suggest that the patriarch of the Jewish people, Yitzchak, his shidduch, was, uh, came to be from such a terrible thing of Avodah I mean, Nachash, Okay, so right away, um, the Ravid, um, the Ravid is the um, commentary who often disagrees with the Rambam in very sharp terms. And his glasses are printed sort of alongside the Rambam. And he says, you know, absolutely not. And as we'll see soon, he quotes the Gemara. And he says, well, the Rambam is learning the wrong chat in the Gemara. And we'll see the Gemara soon. Then the Rambam continues. And he says, um, if somebody says that a certain house that I bought uh, was a simon toy, it, it was a good omen, or a woman who I married, was a good omen, or an animal that I purchased was blessed, and since I bought this animal, or I guess in modern terms, since I did this investment, I have become successful or rich. And similarly, somebody who asks a child, what are you learning? Which pasuk are you up to in school? And if he says a nice pasuk, something which includes a blessing in it, he will rejoice and say, this is a good omen. Says the Rambam, all of this is permissible. Why? Because you haven't done something or refrained from doing something because of it. It's just a personal thing. You feel happy, you feel um, you feel, I'm just going to plug in the computer here, you feel um, you feel chizuk uh, encouraged because you asked the child what pasuk he's doing and he randomly chose a um, a pasuk with um, which is a blessing. How is this? How is this different than what we just finished the nine days? In the nine days, there are certain things that we shouldn't do, not because it's a physical issue that it can't be done, but but because oh, it's a bad omen. You shouldn't you shouldn't travel on the nine days and so on. 
That's a good question. Very good. I don't know. Get up. <laughs> I mean, it could be that the Rambam would disagree with all of that. In other words, we don't. There's two aspects to those things. One aspect is Avelis. We don't. The reason we don't travel in the nine days is because you're focusing on the morning for the base of Mikdash. It's not. Don't don't get distracted with other things, with other pleasures or whatever. But to the extent that there has been hugging to refrain from certain things because of it's not an opportune time. It could. I don't know, but it could be that the Rambam would not accept that. I remember all these. Nine days was instituted after the Rambam. No, the, the Rambam wouldn't. The, the, those the, the the Rambam doesn't. What do you mean the nine days? It, it doesn't you say. Said the Rambam would not uh, agree to this, or would not, the Rambam would, would, would not necessarily agree to the. No, he would say that all of the prohibitions of the nine days are to do with focusing on mourning, not to do with it not being an opportune time. Now, story time. <coughs> the year is 1948. Actually, it's 1950 already. But it's in... It's in... Um, Consequence to in following the events of 1948. When the 35 fallen soldiers of a legendary military convoy were brought for burial at Mount Herzl, following Israel's War of Independence, only 23 could be identified with certainty. To resolve the problem, Rabbi Arya Levin performed a little-known Kabbalistic ritual. Now, who was Rabbi Arya Levin? So you may be familiar with him. Um, he's known commonly by the book about him, which in English is called a tzaddik in our times. Rabbi Arya Levin was a very, very... Uh, special Jew, and most um, famously, he's well known for his unprecedented, uh, unparalleled, I should say, um, uh, almost obsession with helping people. And he went to the most extreme lengths, even putting himself at, at, at great danger, at this tremendous friend. I mean, again, the book, you could read the book, A Tzaddik in Our Times, so he was a phenomenal um, person. Now, um, so, he, um, you may be familiar, actually, there's one line of his which was somehow became very, very famous. The, um, it's always said at Chasna and Shemabrach speeches that when Avari Levine took his wife to the doctor, and he said to the doctor, Doctor, my wife's leg hurts us. Um, not it's hurting her, it's hurting us. Okay. Um, anyway, so... On the night between the 15th and 16th of January 1948, 35 members of a convoy commanded by Danny Mass set out on a mission to deliver supplies to the besieged Gush Etzion, the, the Etzion block, a cluster of settlements in the West Bank just south of Jerusalem. Before dawn, the unit was discovered and surrounded by thousands of Arab fighters. All 35 members of the convoy were killed in a battle that lasted the entire day. They have come to be known in Hebrew as the Lamed Hay, the 35. After the two um, letters in Lamed Hay, after the two letters which together indicate the together indicate the numerical value of the name. Okay, now 
Two days later, the bodies were discovered by Hamish Dugan, chief of the British police in Hebron. He intended to bring them to burial in Kfar Etzion, but before he could do, he could do, he could so. Arab residents of the nearby village of Surif mutilated the bodies beyond recognition. This led later to the problem of identifying the dead. And if you look here, there's signs and pictures of the funerals um, of the 35. Okay, now basically these. Um, okay, so in the English version of this story, which I found online, there are some details missing. But one thing that I read in the Hebrew one is that he um, they were sort of somewhat buried. They were covered. Uh, they were buried on the side of the road over there, covered with a thin layer of, of not proper, not a proper burial. But they were, so, which is um, okay. A few months after the end of the War of Independence, in late '49. Um, the chief rabbi of Israel Defense Forces, Shlomo Garin, who later on became the chief rabbi of Israel, the Ashkenazic chief rabbi of Israel, initiated a mission to bring the bodies of Gush Etzion's fallen defenders, including the convoy of the 35, for reburial at the National Military Cemetery on Mount Herzl. The bodies had been identified for the temporary burial, okay, like I said, in Kfar Etzion, with great effort, but after the fall of Gush Etzion, the burial details were lost, including the information of who was buried where. As a result, when the bodies were brought for permanent burial at Mount Herzl, it was necessary to re-identify the bodies, and only 23 of them could be determined with certainty. Twelve graves remain unidentified. That means they knew who the twelve were, just didn't know which, which was who. Right? The families of these twelve fallen soldiers approached... Rabbi Tzvi Pesach Frank, the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim, who suggested that they contact Rabbi Ari Levine and ask him to perform a Kabbalistic ceremony known as Goyrul Hagra, the lottery of the Vilna Gaon, um, in order to identify the bodies. Now, we'll see later at this time, but it, this, this lottery which he's about to do is known commonly as the Goyrul Hagra, the lottery of the Gra, but it seems clear that... It, um, it, it, it's, it's not the, the source of it is not the Vilna Gaon, the source of it, uh, the roots of it, I should say, are, are much earlier than the Vilna Gaon. Um, now, I find this detail of the story very interesting because Reb Tzvi Pesach Frank was a world, was and is, a world-renowned Posek. He wasn't a Kabbalist, he wasn't a Chassid, he wasn't a mystic, he was a world-renowned Posek. And it was Reb Tzvi Pesach Frank who... Um, suggested using this method to identify the twelve bodies, and um, and um, Rabbi Levine. Um, okay, we'll see the details soon. Rabbi Levine was known for his kindness. He was called the Rabbi of the Prisoners for his habit of writing letters to prisoners and visiting them every Shabbos to visit them in the jail cells to lift up their spirits during the British Mandate period. He was particularly known for his visits to the imprisoned members of the underground movement and those headed for the gallows. He also regularly visited the Hanson Leper Hospital in Jerusalem's Talbiyeh neighborhood to offer encouragement and comfort to the residents. He himself participated in the funeral arrangements and identification of the bodies um, before the burial of the of the fallen in Kfar Etzion in 1948. So before that first burial, he was already someone involved. <coughs> now, Gairul Agra is a ritual attributed to the Vilna Gaon, um, is conducted by randomly opening a Bible and linking the verses onto the page to, in the, uh, uh, to the matter at hand. The purpose of the ceremony is to find answers to the question, question of great importance. If there's no hint in the verse, one skips to the next verse and begins with the last letter of the previous verse. Okay, so it doesn't, in the English article and even in the Hebrew article, it doesn't sort of give you all the exact instructions of how to do a girl hagra, but in other places we find sort of very clear instructions that there's a certain type of 
um, safer you're supposed to use. Some say it should only be a chumash. Some say it should be a safer which holds the 24 books, and it has to be um, in a certain print. So you can see here in the picture they're using one which has. Um, two columns on every page and you're supposed to put your f- one finger on one end and spread out the other finger on the other end and then open, random open up and count to seven pages and seven verses and seven words and seven letters and it's like a whole it's it's kind of a, it has for those who are in the know which is not me there's um, there's uh, there's kind of very specific instructions of how you're supposed to do it and there are it seems with there are different, uh, tradi- you know, it's sort of passed down by tradition somewhat, so I guess there are, within this very specific instructions, there are differences, and you find different reports of, oh, like this, I guess. Okay. At first, Ravid refused to perform the mystical ritual, but after being convinced that it would help the bereaved families gain a measure of closure, he acquiesced. The, the rabbi was given both a list of the fallen whose burial places were unknown, and a sketch of the unidentified graves. There was no need to dig up the graves or desecrate the existing burial sites. He went over the sketch, one grave at a time, and tried to affix a verse to each. According to the book Ish Tzadikaya, which um, is translated into English called the Tzadik in our times, the rabbi's work was miraculously swift. At first, a few general verses appeared that contained hints of the letters Lamed Hay. So, you actually have... Um, I could show you a picture here. This page over here is the protocol of the meeting, so to speak, handwritten by Rabbi Levine himself. And he says, first he got um, 11 verses. The first 11 verses that he got were all generic. They weren't about specific soldiers, but they were all very much related to the situation. Um, it said, Kodesh. Um, that was the first verse he got, you know, that I am sanctified by the Holy One, you know, by these people who were killed to sanctify me. Kodesh Kodoshim Aleichem, Holy of Holies to atone for you. Then a number of verses about um, going to battle. Uh, again, I'm not going to read all the verses. They got uh, verses which had allusions to Lamed Hay, the 35, which is how this convoy was known, the Lamed Hay, like we said before. And then, after those 11 verses, which were generic, sort of encouraging and speaking about the holiness and the uh, all the, these properties of those of these fallen uh, soldiers, um, he got he had his list of twelve names, and he had the sketch of the grave. So he was like, okay, the first grave we need to identify is uh, uh, whatever it was. Yeah, row five, uh, row five, um, grave number one. Next one was row one, grave six, whatever it is. Um, and it's actually quite unbelievable, uh, quite incredible how exact um, this whole thing work. It was Thursday night. They went upstairs to the yeshiva located in the attic um, of the small modest house of Arya in Mishkanot, Yisrael neighborhood. Um, in the darkened hall, twelve candles were lit, which illuminated the eastern wall next to which the Torah ark. Those present included Reb Arya, along with his son-in-law and son. Two of the parents of the deceased were also in attendance, Mr. Ruvin Mas, um, who was the father of the general who led the the the, um, the convoy, um, and Mr. Yitzchak Davakoyin Persitz. They began with the recitation of Psalms. A sacred silence prevailed. The burning candles added a sense of awe. They opened the Bible randomly without looking for a particular page. After each opening, they leafed through it again seven times, repeated the act seven times. Okay. Um, now, I'll read to you. This is, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, this. There you go. 
So the first soldier, the first the, the first pasuk that came up was Omimate Binyamin Begayro, which is a verse in the book of Yehoshua, and one of the soldiers' names was Binyamin. Um, then they came up a uh, verse in the book of Samuel's Hello Ben Yamini. Ben Yamini was the family name of one of the soldiers. Um, the next pasuk that came up called Yaakov, and Yaakov was one of the names of the soldiers. Um, then the next had to be more than one soldier with the name Yaakov. No, really. Oh no, no. Actually, there were two. You're right. There were two called Yaakov. Um, how did he decide that that was that one? I don't know. Um, the fourth one was Vayomi Yosef, and there was one soldier called Yosef. The second one was Va'anak Gaon Yisrael Bifanav, and um, one of the soldiers' last names was Gaon. Then they had Vayikach Eliyahu Asayalad, one of them was Eliyahu. Olizulin Omar, one of the soldiers' last name was Zavulani. Um, then they had Kohen, one of the soldiers' last name was Kohen, Karnachi Oh, there was a third one called Yaakov, but he was called Yaakov Kohen, and they had uh, then they had Yisrael, Yisrael, then they had Achashalti, which was Shaul, that was 11, and then they didn't do the 12th one because that was sort of left, the default was the 12th. And so this was the, the what they did. And, um, and, um, and like I said, Tzvi Pesach Frank, who was the rabbi, a postdoc in Yerushalayim, he passed in that this is what they should do, and he allowed them to then write the Matsevas on those uh, graves, relying on this girl that those were indeed the names of those soldiers to be bu- that were buried there. Um, now, um, so what are we to make of all of this? And and. Um, and yeah, what do we to make all of this? Now, the truth is, I could tell you a few more stories. We could tell lots of stories for a long time, um, but um, uh, the, it, it's um, one of the famous stories of Goyal Hagra is with the Chafetz Chaim. Uh, the Chafetz Chaim, um, the author of the Mishnah Bura, the Chafetz Chaim uh, relied when um, I think it was before yeah, and before the when when the First World War broke out, he wasn't sure what to do with his yeshiva. And he opened up to the pasuk vayachatz as om neshtei machnois that um, Yaakov split the, his camp into two. So this is what he did. Part of the yeshiva stayed where they were. The other half went to Kram and Shuk. Um, now, one thing that's clear. There's other stories of Rebelli Lapian, who was in London actually, and he writes that before he um, he used the. Uh, he used the girl of God to decide whether or not he should move to London. Um, he brings here that um, there was Rabbi Shimon Shvadron used to use the, um, sorry, that Rebellion Lopian, this is very interesting, would use the girl of when he had to make the decision of whether or not to expel a student from the yeshiva, which was, he felt, something that he couldn't take responsibility for. Of course, that's always one of the most difficult decisions, somebody heading a school. You expel a child from the school, you might be ruining him for life, but if keeping him in the school might be ruining everybody else for life. You know, um, one thing that's clear from all the stories that we see about the girl Hagra is that those who used them hesitated and only used them very rarely when they felt that they really had to and there was no other choice. It wasn't something that was just used, um, as they say in Yiddish, every Monday and Thursday um, for um, random things. In our Chabad tradition, there's a kind of similar story that um, 
when the Alter Rebbe was arrested, so the Chassidim, one of the one of the great Chassidic masters at the time, Rebbe Yitzchak Baditchev, was very close with the Alter Rebbe, and um, so the Chassidim of the Alter Rebbe right away traveled to Rebbe um, Yitzchak to ask for a bracha for the Alter Rebbe. And he said, uh, "What's what's you know his name and his mother's name?" And somehow the Chassidim didn't know um, the name of the Rebbe's mother. And so Rebbe Levitzchak opened the Chumash and he said, "Ki yesh shever b'mitzrayim." It's not exactly the Gerul Hagra, but also the simon, and it also wasn't to decide what to do, but it's just kind of related that he said the word shever is shin base reish, and the Alter Rebbe's name was is Schneer Ben Zalman, but Schneer Ben Rivka. So. That's just an interesting story. Now, um, so let's let, let me read you a couple of Gemaras, which are um, of very much relevance. So a, a couple of stories from the from the Gemara. Now, Rav have Rav was going to visit the house of his son-in-law, Rav Hanan. As he arrived at the riverbank, he saw a ferry a ferry coming toward him. Omar. He said that a ferry is coming toward me. It is an omen that there will be a festival in my place of lodging. Um, so, in other words, the fact that he happened to be coming to the bus stop as the bus was showing up, so to speak, um, the ship in this case, um, was a good omen for Rav. Azul come above him. So... Uh, he uh, he came across the river. the He peered through a crack in the door. He saw animals hanging, slaughtered animals hanging. So he knocked in the gate, and everybody came out to greet him, including the chefs. Now, this the, the, actually I should have introduced this story is in the context of the question of bosses and his alamin ayin. Rav is very strict about meat that is in this alamin ayin meat that hasn't been constantly watched by Jewish eyes, and is that the concern that the meat was switched with non-kosher meat. Now, we're not going to get into that halach, the kosher side of it right now, um, but uh, just the context, so the chefs came out, so the problem was, everybody came out, the meat, those hanging animals, were left unwatched. So Rav didn't remove his eyes from the meat. And he said to the butchers, if I had relied upon your supervision, you would have fed me forbidden meats to, the, to, my, to my grandchildren. Right? Because you left the, you know, who knows what happened to the meat. And Rav indeed did not eat from the meat. So the Gemara says, why didn't he eat from the meat? So first it says, well, maybe because he did remove it from his sight. Okay, then the Gemara says, maybe he didn't eat, he refrained from eating because he had practiced divination. Rav had said, oh, the ship is coming toward me at the point at the time that I'm arriving at the bus, at the, at the ferry stop. That's a good omen. So um, maybe that's why he didn't eat from the meat, because he had done this omen, the Venetian thing. He didn't, then he, it was a bad thing to do. So that's why he didn't eat from the meat. Says the Gemara, what do you mean? Now remember, the Rambam said that Eliezer Eved Avram, the, Eli, the way Eliezer found the Shidduch Rivka, that was Nachash. And the Rambam is based in this Gemara, that Rav says, any Nachash that is not um, 
like the Nachash of Eliezer, the servant of Avram, or like the Nachash of Yonason, the son of Shaul, is not considered Nachash. So, now, okay, so, so, so what, what do those words mean? Right? So the way Rashi explains the Gemara is um, that Eliezer of Avram, he relied on his Nachash. He said, um, because, right, if this and this happens, and then he relied on it. He actually gave the girl the jewelry and took her as the Shidduch. Similarly, the story of Yonas and Ben-Shol, which I'll just say the story um, quickly, is that he was going with his uh, uh, weapon carrier, whatever, his agent boy. Um, they were going somewhere, and the, the question was basically, should they, should they retreat or should they attack a certain village? And Yonason says to him, okay, if the, when we come to the guards, if they say, come up to us, um, I forget which way it works, if they say, come up to us, he thus decided that he and his armor bearer would approach the guard of the Philistine camp and see the reaction. If they said, halt until we reach you, they would stay there, they would stay where they were and not launch an attack. If, however, they would say, come up to us, they would take it as a good omen and launch the attack. And indeed, that's what happened. He said, come up to us, and he went to launch the attack. Um, so, um, so there, they actually, they made a sign, okay, if this happened, and then they actually did what they said they were going to do. Whereas Rav, he didn't actually do anything or not do anything because of it. He just, um, he just, Took it as a good omen. He was happy about it. So clearly, it was a divination. Okay, so the Gemara says, okay, there was a different reason why he didn't eat from the meat. That's not relevant to us. One moment. So, so the the Rambam understands from this Gemara, right? The Rambam understands from this Gemara that the actions of Eliezer and Yonas and Ben Shol were forbidden, and that's why he gives those examples as being examples of Nachash, which is forbidden. Yes. Is there any problem with us using this against uh, an enemy? Against? The system that, uh, of omens, good omens and bad omens. Against what? Against an enemy. You couldn't use it. If it's forbidden, it's forbidden for any reason. Okay, because I'm thinking, uh, um, uh, like, uh, uh, the story of Masada. You know, and uh, to avoid attacks, you know, they, you know, it said that they, uh, some stuck down the mountain and uh, um, uh, put worms or maggots or something in, inside some of the sheep that, that they knew that, uh, you know, would be checked uh, to see if it was a good omen. That whether they I think to trick the enemy into thing, yeah, I don't know if that's... Um Anyway, I, I don't, tricking the enemy into doing it, I, I don't know if that would be considered a problem. You knew they were going to do it, so... Alright. Then the Gemara continues. Rav would foretell with a fairy. So Rav, this thing of the fairy, he would foretell with that. Narashi says that um, what that means is... Uh, one second... If, yeah, Rashi says, if there was a ferry waiting for him at the dock, he would take the trip. If you have a difficulty getting into the ferry, he wouldn't go on the trip. So again, it seems to be in absolute opposition to the Rambam. Um, Shmuel Badak Wasifra, Shmuel would do it with a scroll. 
um, you know, he would open a. This is Baltic Sefer. This actually seems to be the closest to the question of the Gerel Hagra because it seems to be saying that he would open a book, a Sefer Torah or something, and based on a pasuk that he would find, right? And um, just to mention a story that we mentioned on <coughs> Tishabav that when Yeshua HaMelech, when they found the Sefer Torah, they opened the Sefer Torah to the curses, and Yeshua HaMelech took that as a very serious sign, and he rendered his garments, etc. Um, then it says, Rabbi Yochanan, and this is perhaps more famous, Rabbi Yochanan would foretell with a verse cited by a child. We saw the Rambam said that he, had, you had, he asked the child, um, which pasuk are you learning? And the Gemara actually tells a story where we see how Rabbi Yochanan relied on a child. What's the story? That all the years during Rav's lifetime, Rav was, Rabbi Yochanan lived in Eretz Yisrael, and Rav was the head of the yeshivas in Bavel. So whenever Rabbi Yochanan would write a letter to Bavel, he would introduce the letter by saying to our teacher in Bavel. When Rav died, and Shmuel succeeded Rav, he would write to our colleague in Bavel. He wouldn't write to our teacher in Bavel. Now Shmuel didn't like this. He wanted, he said, do I not know anything of which I am more proficient than him and can be considered his teacher? And it seemed like Shmuel wanted to establish himself so that people should actually um, give him the, the respect and the authority that he had as the successor of Rav. So he wrote to Rabbi Yochan in the calendar inter, intercalation, intercalations, yeah, the cal- calculation of the calendar for 60 years to sort of show, look, I can teach you something, you could call me teacher, it's okay. But Rabbi Yochan was unimpressed and he said, Okay, so he knows he's good at math. Okay. So then, Shmuel sent him um, 13 camel loads of, camel loads of questionable trefos. Now, <coughs> Rashi right away says that 13 camel loads is an exaggeration. It just means he sent him, uh, he basically showed him how there was numerous questions in trefos, in the sort of questions of when an animal is kosher or not kosher, which Shmuel was familiar with. And indeed, he was very impressed with this, and he said, okay, I'm going to go to Bavel, to meet this man. Before him embarking on a trip, he asked his ch- a child, recite me your verse, and um, the child said the verse, Ushmuel Meis. There is a verse in the book of Shmuel, chapter 20, where the prophet Shmuel dies, and that happens to be the puzzle he was, the child was learning Shmuel Meis. Now, it's not the prophet, it's a different Shmuel. But Rabbi Yechelen took that to mean as a sign that Shmuel had died, and so therefore there was no point in going to Bavel. Now the Gemara continues that <coughs> actually Shmuel hadn't died, but from heaven they didn't want Rabbi Yechelen to have to exert himself to make this trip to Bavel, so they made him think that Shmuel died, so he wouldn't take the trip. Then the Gemara finishes off with a b'raiser, Rabbi Shemban al-Azhar, bayis tinoik ve'isha. When somebody builds a house, or the birth of a child, or marrying a woman, although there is no divination, there is an omen, which Rashi explains to mean that if, and this was also mirrored in the words of the Rambam, that if you did a successful business deal, a successful marriage, or had a a child, um, uh, the birth of a child, then you could use that, and then you were successful, and the Gemara continues, only if it happened three times, um, then... Um, you could consider that, that as a good omen that to continue those business deals, etc. And the Gemara brings a proof for this from Yaakov, who says, don't take Binyamin down to Egypt. Why? Because I've already, this would be the third time I have already lost Yosef when he traveled. I lost Shimon when he traveled. Um, so, so, so I'm not going to, so don't take Binyamin. Um, that's the end of that Gemara.
you'll notice I tra- a child. So I said a child means that he gave birth to a child and then his ve- business venture was successful. But the Rambam translates the word child in this Gemara as meaning asking a child the Pasuk that you just learned. But again, throughout the Rambam's way of understanding this Gemara, the Rambam is very explicit that it's, all, uh, it's, uh, it's only permissible if you are not doing or not doing anything for it, um, because of it, you're just taking it as a good omen to feel happy and like, okay, this is a summer, you know, it's encouraging. But any type of action-based, either action, not even action-based, decision, any decision based on this, whether the decision be action or inaction, is absolutely forbidden according to the Rambam. Now, one more Gemara, which is very relevant to read. Um, oh, one second, before the next Gemara, there is actually this concept of psychli psukecha, of asking a child um, what Pasuk he did, uh, he learned, is actually a concept which um, we find numerous uh, stories about and sources for it. Um, one of the famous um, ones is um, with Mordechai in the Purim story that he asked three children, and all three of them answered in succession the three psukim which we sing after davening, do not fear, and um, their plots will be uh, destroyed, and um, basically that you will be healthy for long, healthy year, uh, for long, for old age. So, and there's numerous other stories, I just mentioned that one because perhaps it's famous, people may have heard it um, re- uh, um, recounted around Purim time. Now, one more imp- important relevant Gemara is in, um, sorry, the Gemara I just read to you was from Chulin Sadikhe, it's Chulin 95b, and then there's another important Gemara in Gitin, Gitin Samachas 68a, where there is a very interesting interaction between Rav Sheshes and the um, servants of the Reish Galusa. The Reish Galusa, the Exilarch, they call him, um, he had, uh, Rav Sheshes sort of exposed his servants of being less than trustworthy, and the servants wanted to get back at him. So it's a whole long story, I'll just read the relevant part, um, where it says as follows, when Rav Sheshis was leaving, they dug a pit for him. They, they threw a reed mat over it, and they said, come master, you know, repose for a while, rest for a while on one of the couches, and since Rav Sheshis was blind, they expected him to fall into the pit, and that would be the, you know, and then he would die, and that would be their revenge. Now, Rav Chista, snorted to Rav Sheshis from behind him to warn him of the danger he faced. Now, it's obviously not clear in the story why Rav Chista couldn't do more than that, but the most Rav Chista was able to do was sort of make a whistle, make some noise, which sort of alerted to Rav Sheshis, be aware something is going on, and of course he's blind, so he has extra um, uh, attention to these type of things. So what does Rav Sheshis do? He says to a child, Psoiklip, Psokecha, um, what Pasuk are you happen to be studying? And he quoted him a verse, which comes from also from the book of Shmuel, Shmuel 2, which says, Turn to your right or to your left. So Sheshus was like, hmm, okay. He asked his attendant, what do you see? And the attendant says, I see a reed mat thrown on the ground. So Sheshus said to him, turn away from it. Um, Sheshus had... Um, So then Rav Chista said to Rav Sheshis, how did you know to go around the mat? So he said, firstly, because you snorted at me, and second of all, because of the child reciting the verse, and furthermore, I was already suspect of these servants being um, less than scrupulous, as, whatever, there's a whole long story before, where he had exposed them as being um, not very good people. Okay, so, 
again, here we see an example where, from all these examples, there seems to be many cases where we find that the Amiroim did not just uh, rejoice and take it as a good omen, but actually based their actions based on different omens. Here we have him basing his actions on asking the child, and he told him a pasuk, go to the right or the left. Earlier we had the Rabbi Yochanan not traveling to Bavel because of it, and we also had the story of Rav, who later on the Gemara says he didn't, yeah, that he would and would not take a trip based on whether the ship came. And of course we have Eliezer Avedavram, the examples on the Rambam himself gives of Eliezer Avedavram, who did the Shidduch for Yitzchak based on that, and Yonason Ben Shol, who uh, went to attack the Plishti uh, village based on, um, uh, on, on the omen. So what are we to make of all of this? Now the Rambam is very clear that all of these things, are f- that, 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 that doing an action is forbidden. Now, other Rishonim, the, the, the primary, the, the, the primary Rishon who sort of comes to our aid over here is the Ram. The Ram of Nisim, he basically says two, two things, two things he says. First of all, when the Gemara says that Eliezer Avad Avram and Yonisim and Shaul are um, the sort of stereotypical examples of what Nachash means, the Gemara doesn't mean to say that what they did was forbidden. What the Gemara means to say is that to use those as an example of decision. These people took decision based purely on the Nachash. If she's going to feed the camels, I'm going to ask her to drink. If she's going to feed the camels, I will marry her to Yitzchak, and if not, I won't. And he took action. That taking action solely based on your predetermined um, sign that is what Nachash is. However, in order to, for it to violate the, the, the prohibition of Nachash, there has to be an additional element which was missing both from Eliezer and from Yonis and Scholz, and that element is um, arbitrariness. If your sign that you make is completely arbitrary, um, like um, the, if, if the ship happens to be coming to the bus stop when I come there, then and then... So, so, and then you would base your decision purely on that, then that would be Nachash. But in these cases, says the Ran, it wasn't arbitrary. It was. It made a lot of sense. Eliezer wanted to see, he wanted to have, make sure to find a shidduch for, with a girl who, as we say in today's language, had good midos. Right? He wanted to make sure he was going to find a kind wife for Yitzchak. So it wasn't a random, uh, arbitrary uh, sign. He was he was putting her to the test to see is she a caring, kind person who will go out of her way to take care of somebody. Similarly, he says with the story of Yonison Ben Shol that um, the, the the sign that he made of if they say come up to us or we go down to you was a reflection of whether or not these the, the guard felt strong and powerful or were they scared if they said come up here or something, I forget exactly which way it goes, yeah? If they say come up, alright, oh, if they say come up, that means they're scared that you're lying in ambush for us. Now if they're scared, so then that's the tab of the way things work. If the, if the, if the, if the, if the troops are afraid, then they're not going to be successful in battle. So that's why when they said come up to us, that means they were scared there was somebody in ambush there. Yonis and Shol took this as a reassurance that he was, he was safe to attack them. Whereas if they had come down to them, which showed that they were 
uh, confident in their abilities to overcome any ambush, then he would have known, right? So that is the worker. That's the way the Ran understands um, these Gemaras, which is in, clearly in opposition to the Rambam. But that is a way for us to understand. For example, the story of Eliezer and Avram, and the Ravid seems to go along with this also, um, that all of those were not Nachash. What about the other stories, which Psoikli Psokecha tell us a Pasuk, or uh, Rav saying the ship? So there, the Ran says that you, you basically have to say that they weren't relying solely on that. It was like, uh, for example, Rav with the ship. He said, if, if he wanted to go somewhere, he would go even if the ship didn't come the mo- as he came to the bus stop. And if he didn't want to go, he wouldn't go even if the- he happened to be walking past the bus stop and the ship came. But if there was Stadim Lakan and Lakan, there were pros and cons, and he was, he was having trouble to determine what to do. So then he would, um, he would use that to sort of tip the scale in one direction or the other. Similarly, the story that I read before about Rav Sheshes um, circumventing the pit with the mat covering it because he asked the child, and the child told him a positive turn right to left. Again, it's explicitly in the Gemara that that wasn't the only reason, that he had other reasons. First of all, he was anyway suspicious of them, and he heard the warning of Rav Chista, who made some sort of sound to, uh, to alert him. So that was just sort of to, top, to, to tip up, to top off the scale as well. And so, um, the, that's, so, so basically, according to the, those who argue on the Rambam, they would say that, first of all, <coughs> if the Nakash is not random and arbitrary, but there's a reason why you're making this sim, and then it would be permissible. And similarly, they say that if you're not relying solely on that, but if you're using the Nakash, which is random, the ship coming and upcoming, that's not sort of, an, it is arbitrary. But if you're just using that to tip the scale, then according to many of the other Rishonim, it would be permissible. Now, there is, however, a difference between um, between any nachash, for example, the ship coming, and psoikli Um <coughs> Excuse me. Psoikli telling a child that um, telling a child, um, asking a child, sorry, which pasuk are you learning now, and taking action based on his pasuk is seen by some to be not just a, um, a, a sort of a nachash, but to be seen as a nevuah an, an element of prophecy. And indeed, this is somewhat based on the Gemara Bava Basra that says, I believe it's Tafiyud base that says that you'd basically give on stuff 12 or 13, I'm not sure, that says that when the base of Mikdash was destroyed, prophecy left the Jewish people and it was given to um, to imbeciles and to children. Now, not getting into it now, but I will mention that there was some time back a major controversy about a movement to um, uh, um, promote and rely on communication of. Um, I forget what it was called, facilitated something or other, where you had like autistic kids typing things on computers, which sort of foretold the future, and some people wanted to say that we should rely on it based on that Gemara. Now, that's not the same, I'm not getting into that whole thing, but that's not the same as asking a child to recite the Pasuk and take action based on that, which we find explicitly um, stories in the Gemara <coughs> where um, the sages did do that. Now, um, what does it say in Shulchan What's the halacha? Um, so, in Shulchan Aruch, in the laws of uh, 
witchcraft and all this type of stuff. Um, so uh, basically, it, uh, it summarizes the Rambams and the Gemaras that we've read until now. And um, the Ramah says like this: It's permissible to say to tell a child. It's permissible to tell a child What pasuk are you learning? But he, he, the Ramah doesn't say so explicitly, but the Shach says that, it, that the Ramah is implying that it's even permissible to ask a child what are you, which Pasuk are you learning and take a decision, an active decision based on that Pasuk. And then the Ramah continues and he says that some say that you're allowed to make a, for yourself a sign, an omen, um, like, like Eliezer Ebed Avram did, but some say it's forbidden. And the Ramah finishes off by saying... That so this is machlokes basically, like we saw before. Basically, it's machlokes between the Rambam and the Ran, and um, the Ramah finishes off. Somebody who goes with simplicity and trusting in Hashem, that's the best way to go. You'll be surrounded by kindness. So the Ramah is saying <coughs> concerning making simonim, concerning making yourself a sign like Eliezer of Avram. So it's machloikus. Is it permissible or not? Best trust in Hashem. Tovim tiyeh Hashem and the That's with regards to making a sign. But with regards to psoikli psukacha, to asking a child, uh, which pasuk did you learn? The Ramah, as understood both by the Shach and the Taz, say that it is um, permissible because it is ktsas nevuah in the words of the Shach or nevuah ktan in the words of the Taz. It is um, somewhat of an element of prophecy. Um, And it seems this idea of sort of getting advice from the Torah, which in the Gemara is called Psoikli Psukacha, where you ask a child to say a pasuk, seems to have developed into the idea of opening a, uh, opening a Chumash or opening a Tanakh and taking advice from the, from the pasuk that way, not by asking a child, maybe because nowadays children don't learn Tanakh, I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but that seems to be um, thing. And there is source for this even as far back as the Tanakh teachings in the Sifri, um, which talk about taking advice from the Torah. It says, David HaMelech, there's a psikta there of Kana, which is a Tanaic, um, uh, or at least an Amoraic um, teaching, which says that David would, David HaMelech would look into the Torah, and um, it's actually in Kufiutes, he says he would, look at the, he would look into the Torah and take advice based on that. And um, we find... Um, so you have from the Chidon, Shiyoi Brachin, Chaim Shol, a number of um, references to this idea of opening um, a Chumash and asking and, and finding, getting advice based on that. And the, the Chidon actually himself says, because there is another Rambam, which is not in the Mishnah Torah, but in the response of the Rambam, where he says, um, where he says um, that... Uh, he explicitly forbids this also of opening a chumash to get advice but the Chidor argues that the Rambam there is talking about where somebody is sort of doing this as a public service where he goes knocking on the doors and sort of presents himself as a fortune teller and says here I'll open the chumash for you but he says if you want to do it to yourself privately um, that is okay Um, and indeed right so there are a number of sources which do allow that and seem to so it seems to be that the Geirul Hagra is somehow 
um, a an extension of this psoikli psukecha, which was understood by many as being a not chasushalam and nachash, but on the contrary, of it being some form of nevuah tana of uh, a minor prophecy. And I'll just finish it uh, uh, with two more, um, with with one more point and story, and perhaps a summary is like this: in the sefer Tamem and Hagim, which is a sefer which is very well widely accepted, um, he says. Why is it that in the generations of the Tanoim and Amiram they would ask children psoikli psukecha? Why didn't they just look in the safe for themselves? He says the reason is because in those days they didn't have um, prints, printing, and the Sfarim were written with the sanctity of like a scroll, like we have a Sefer Torah, and therefore they did not want to use and move around those holy scrolls for their own personal needs. Um, And he, he he goes on to quote um, the idea that you can uh, from the Sifri that uh, you open the Torah to look in to look at what to do. So he says, on the contrary, in a way, the girl, the, the, what, what the time in Hagim is suggesting that this idea of girl hagra of he doesn't call it girl hagra, but 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 this idea of opening a chumash and getting advice in some way like that is um, is uh, is is sort of the, the real way to do it, and the only reason that in the times of the Tanoim and the Amiram they did it by asking a child was because they didn't have printed Chumashim and they felt it disrespectful to take out the Sefer Torah for their personal needs like that. Then in the footnotes on the Sefer he adds like this. Um, one second. The Mishnah says in the beginning of um, Pirkei Ovis chapter 2, Dama know what is above you. I and Raya are watchful. I, Vais and Jamas are listening here. All of your deeds are being written down in the book. So he translates this that um, in the time of the Bayes Rishon, the first base of Mikdosh, when they wanted to ask Hashem, they had the Urim Vitumim, they had the Choshen, which how did that work? It would shine up. The letters of the right answer would shine up on the Choshen. So that's I and Raya, there's a watchful eye. Then in the second Beis Hamikdash, they didn't have that anymore. They had a lower, a lessened degree of nevuah of communication with Hashem, and it came in the form of a baskel and numerous stories where there was a heavenly voice emanated. That's baskel. That's Aizenol, the, the listening ear. And then after that, we have a cholma. In the time of Golos, we have kol maasecha b'seifa nichtovim. All of your deeds are written in the book. Meaning, if you open the chumish, you can find um, guidance. And he says, this is also the deeper meaning behind another statement later on in chapter 5 of Pirkei Abbas, where it says, learn more, dig deeper and deeper into the Torah because everything can be found in the Torah. And you can see in the Torah everything. But the Baal Shem Tov, he brings it, the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov translated that Mishnah saying, that through looking into the Torah, you can see the light which Hashem hid at the beginning of creation, which it says there was a light which you, with which you could see from one end of the world to the other. That light can be seen by a tzaddik when looking deeply into the Torah to see from one side of the world to the other. Indeed, there's also other minhagim which are brought that parents would name their children based on opening a chumish and finding whatever, or a tarach, and um, naming their children based on a name related to where they opened up um, in Tanakh. Um, there are indeed numerous stories of miracles of the Talmud Abba Shem, which were based on 
Psukim. Uh, uh, it's almost ten o'clock, so we do want to finish. Uh, I'll just also summarize that in, in, there is uh, the Poskim also point out that in general, using the, the, the you know historically, we find even explicitly in the Torah use of girl of some sort of lottery. Um, to determine things. So, for example, the inheritance in Eretz Yisrael was distributed by a lottery. Yonah was um, was uh, was was uh, was cast off the ship based on on on, on, on lotteries. Um, also, uh, on Yom Kippur, right? The, the 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 goat that went to Azazel and the goat was uh, based on lottery. But the boss can point out like this: that if you want to make a going away, just stepping back a second from the girl Hagra. In general, the use of sort of a lottery. So, if it's sort of a financial transaction that uh, you know, this partners and okay, who's going to get this part? Who's going to get that part? And we pre, uh, we agree ahead of time that we'll rely on the girl. That's fine. But he says to use the girl as any sort of deciding character uh, story, such as in this case of Yoyna, or in the case of uh, dividing the land. That can only be done when it's absolutely obvious that there is divine intervention. So he say, he brings from the from. The t- from the Midrashim, and even from all the commentaries on Ach, that <coughs> that when it came to Yonah, for example, the reason they relied on it was first of all that they made numerous times the draw the lot, and every time it fell on Yonah, and secondly because um, because uh, because there w- it was a clearly a miraculous situation where only their ship was in the storm, and they could see in the di- in the not too distant area other ships that it was common and sort of the storm was directly so they realized that it was something uh, divine similarly we actually learned this together a few weeks ago Bob um, the, the, the girl that was for the division of the land was also was also miraculous um, okay that's um, basically that finishes the, 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 the class there are, the bottom line is the girl Hagra is something which um, is condoned by many poskim as being permissible and even an element of Nevoah Ketana, and someone to argue that even the Rambam would allow it if it's done for personal use, not for public. Um, just for extra credit, I'll finish up. There's, there's numerous, I mean, you can find numerous, numerous fascinating stories of different uh, Geirales, but uh, one which caught my attention as being, um, having a, a good lesson, is from the Kloisenberger Rebbe. So the Kloisenberger Rebbe was a uh, um, Sansa Rebbe, he was a phenomenal, phenomenal Jew. He lost a wife and all his 11 children in uh, the Holocaust. In fact, his oldest son survived, but died in a DP camp, I believe, from Typhus a few months after liberation, and he never got to meet him. Um, I think he, he, he sort of he found out where he was, and they were communicating, but he didn't actually get to... Um, and uh, a tremendous, tremendous, I mean, you can listen to uh, recordings of him telling some stories and listen to recordings of his davening. It's, it's, he was a Jew who was, uh, as they say in Yiddish, he was sort of beyond... Anyway, so the story, he has a story that basically he came into, uh, somehow he managed to get hold of uh, four bundles, of four things of strings to make tzitzis. And he brought them into the DP camp, and he said, okay, so who wants tzitzis? And, of course, everybody jumps on them. So they, d- they decided, we're going to make a koirol, and we'll choose who gets to, I, I don't know if it was enough for four people, whatever it was, it was enough for a handful of people to get the tzitzis. And um, 
well, let's do a girl. And everybody agreed, let's do a girl, besides one person. One bacher came forth, it says his name was Mendel, uh, Mendel Pshitik, 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 I don't know how to pronounce this. Yeah, and he was a Polish bacher, and he says, I have first dibs on the tzitzis. He says, what do you mean? Why are you different than everybody else? So as the bacher was standing there, he ripped his shirt in a way that he made that his, the shirt that he was already wearing had four corners. And he says, look, I'm the only person in this room who's wearing a garment with four corners, so I currently have a biblical obligation to put sits on my shirt. Everybody else, they don't have a garment. They want to make themselves a garment, right? We know there's no, biblically speaking, is a mitzvah. If you have such a garment to put on sits. Nowadays, we always try to go out of our way to do the mitzvah to buy such a garment, to have, right? So he sort of he took his shirt, he ripped it, so that he would already be running the garment, and that's it. Now everybody else doesn't have an obligation. I have an obligation, you have to give me the tzitzis. So the sons of Rebbe was tremendously impressed with this Bacher's uh, uh, passion in the mitzvah, and he said to the Bacher, if indeed your intentions are the Shem Shamayim, you will win the girl. And that's indeed what happened, and this Bacher one was the first of however many people uh, won the girl. Okay, we'll stop here, and we'll see you all Next week, Emirates Hashem.